This podcast is brought to you by a body ecology product called Echophage. Now, Echophage is a grouping of four viruses put together that work to conquer a microbe that can be very beneficial, but it often goes rogue and becomes a pathogen. Um, It's called E. coli. And you'll find pathogenic E. coli in SIBO. You'll find it in people who have um, eaten out, say at a restaurant and gotten uh, diarrhea, or they've gone on a trip to like Mexico and gotten diarrhea. That would be preventative if you um, took uh, echophage along with you on those trips. SIBO, that was a very, very common uh, infection of the small intestine and echophage works in the small intestine to get rid of the echophage, whether it's there because it's not supposed to be, or it's there because it's turned into a pathogen. The other really important reason why echophage is beneficial as a supplement is that many people get urinary tract infections. Many, many women after menopause have recurring um, infections, UGI infections, and they can be painful, they can be frustrating because they keep coming back. E. coli is the main, most common cause of a urinary tract infection. Now, it can be caused by another microbe called Klebsiella, especially if the urinary tract infection was acquired in a hospital or because of a medical procedure. But most of the time, it's E. coli, uh, and it's just commonly there in the bladder, and it's constantly coming back, unless you use the echophage. So the echophage will kill the E. coli, and also prevent a reoccurring infection. So all of the body ecology products are good for the gut. This is one of my favorites, and I think many, many people would benefit. It does happen to have uh, beneficial bacteria, so I highly recommend you try Echophage. Go to bodyecology.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for this podcast. Now we talk about autism, and you might, in your family, not have autism. Uh, Most people do know somebody that has an issue with autism, a friend, a grandchild. But this podcast is full of a lot more information than just autism. There's literally nobody that can listen to this podcast and not gain some very important information. Uh, that will help you in your life too. So we talk about young coconut kefir and how that got started and the thousands of families that helped around the world, how you can make it yourself just with box kefir. I'm interviewing uh, Holly Lawson. She's been a friend for a really long time. She joined the Bedrock Group, which is our autistic group for helping parents with autism. She joined and with her husband, they worked to get their daughter well. And the daughter today is in college. Uh, she's beautiful. She and her twin sister are amazing. Uh, there's no sign and hasn't been for decades of uh, her daughter being uh, having autism. So I think you're going to gain a tremendous amount of information. But most important, I want you to know that what we're talking about is going to concern you too. So let's jump right in. These are extraordinary times but with too much information and much of it confusing. On Body Ecology Living, I interview some of the best minds to help you live your best life possible. We'll discuss topics on using foods to heal, on building a hearty immune system, on aging well, 
on taking care of your gut and of course your brain, but most of all on clarifying the right steps to be happier, healthier, and having the energy to make a difference in your own world. I love doing these podcasts. I love doing the interviews. And today is one that I've looked forward to for honestly, literally years. My guest today is Holly Larson, and she's the proud mom of twin girls. One of them was diagnosed on the autism spectrum years ago, and their family began a difficult but rewarding journey of healing after finding the buddy called your diet. Now, this was years ago, and we have quite a journey here. Uh, But not only did uh, it help Holly recover from autism, but the diet helped the entire family. And she's going to explain what that means. Um, She was diagnosed, actually, with kidney disease at a very young age. And um, she actually had a kidney transplant at the age of 13. And then she had a cancer diagnosis in 2011. Then she had a second kidney transplant um, in 2020. So... I've, I didn't know her when she was 13. I didn't know her until um, she contacted uh, the Body Ecology Bedrock group. It's called Body Ecology Diet Recovering Our Kids. So p- the parents named it Bedrock. So that's been a while ago. And the girls were little and they've grown up and they're both in college. They are beautiful. I'll throw that in there like their mom. And uh, they, they're just beautiful people inside and out. And there's, you know, this is what... We want to communicate today is we want you to know that many, many children are recovering and always have been. And so if you look up the, if you, anything you read on autism, they always start off with telling you what it is. And they always start off with saying, um, you know, it's um, a neurodevelopmental disorder, but, and then they usually go on and very quickly tell you that there's no recovery from it. It's a permanent thing and and that's so wrong. And so I want that to be really clear. And I think you'll see that when Holly tells her story. Um, So Holly, you know, do you, let's see, I have a bunch of questions over here, but um, so when you started, when you gave birth to these beautiful little girls, what was that like? Because I know with a kidney transplant, you know, pregnancy is challenging. Yes. Well, first, um, I'm so honored to be here. And you've had such a profound impact on all of our lives in the family. I mean, obviously, Tula, who was the one that was diagnosed with autism, um, you know, her life completely changed because of you. She's happy. She's healthy. She's thriving now. Um, So we're just so grateful for you. She's also beautiful. Both the girls are fraternal. You know, they don't look alike, but it's like having two beautiful girls in, in your family. Um, <clears throat> so did she have just, was she normal when she was born? Did she have any signs of autism? Well, um, she did. So first, um, I'll tell you, um, I was on immunosuppression because I had my kidney transplant at age 13. So, um, and I only had one kidney because they had removed both of them. Um, so some of my doctors didn't want me to be pregnant. Some of them said it was okay. I was most concerned about being on the immunosuppression, passing, you know, the medications down to my baby. So we chose to have a surrogate carry the, the girls. So we went through IVF. Um, she got pregnant with twins and, um, 
when she went into delivery, she decided to have general anesthesia. So um, it, not my body. So that was difficult. Her doctor told me, no big deal. The second one out will just be a little groggy. So that happened to be Tula. Um, she was groggy. She was having a little bit of um, difficulty breathing. So the doctors wanted to put her on a round of preventative antibiotics. The first, I believe it was the first couple of days of her life. I want to just interject here, Holly, that in the baby boomer generation, that's how babies are born. Yeah. Their mothers were, they guess they didn't want to feel any pain, modern mothers. And so they were put to sleep. Right. So a lot of babies, I'm sure I was one of them, you know, were born. And when they, for a couple of weeks, they're really groggy. Mm -hmm. They, you know, today's baby, if they're, I had, my kids were born naturally. So they were immediately present looking around, you know, they were amazingly different. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's not done very much today. So that's definitely a, a strike against a newborn. Uh, and why did they put her on the antibiotic though? It was preventative, just in case she got a lung infection, she was fine. Um, but, you know, I had grown up in and out of hospitals and, and clinics my whole life. I'd always just listen to doctors. I never questioned. So she was on antibiotics. Um, brought the girls home, and the surrogate was kind enough to pump some breast milk for us. Um, so the feeding, so did not go well with Tula. She would kick and scream and I'd have to massage her to get any, um, milk down. She was diagnosed with reflux by her pediatrician, was put on medication, um, told us to switch to formula. We tried to, I know we tried. Yeah, that's so common today. I'm constantly, um talking to new moms who they didn't maybe produce enough milk, they thought. And that's the first thing they the doctor says to do, or they try it themselves. They go on a formula. And there's not really a good formula out there. So, Right, right. So we were switching formulas and finally came. Um, we found one that helped her a little bit, but I was not used to looking at nutrition labels back then. And uh, the first ingredient was sugar. So she was on that formula for a long time. Um, so born C-section, you know, did not get the beneficial bacteria, was on um, antibiotics actually many times because that first year she, her sister would get a cold and she would get pneumonia. And she had all these rounds of antibiotics for ear infections. I don't even know if they prescribe antibiotics for ear infections anymore, but it was about three times the her first year um, and no breast milk. So, you know, there are three strikes right there. Can I again interject a little bit of interesting information? Because, you know, we know more and more about the microbiome and how it's formed at birth and all. The first three months, the digestive tract in a newborn simply isn't working. It's even difficult for the newborn baby to digest their mother's own milk and there's very little protein in uh, milk uh, they've just got the whole formula thing completely wrong but anyway it's not unusual for the first three months for babies to spit up and have 
quote-unquote reflux, but mothers don't know that. The doctors don't either, I guess. And so they think, oh, he's spitting up and, you know, uh, so he's not digesting my milk. But um, that inner ecosystem is trying to get established. And when it is in three months, things start going much smoother. So so back to what you were going through. Um, in, the, in the meantime, we had another little girl to contrast uh, Tula's, you know, health, basically her digestive tract and everything. And so was there a big difference between the two girls? And There were. Um, Tula was having diarrhea um, where her sister was not. Tula, um, she just, she looked unhealthy. She would have hives. We never found the culprit. She had dark circles under her eyes. Um, as she grew, she was very thin, but with this distended stomach. And then started the behavioral symptoms. So she started stimming, um, like hand flapping. She had echolalia. So I would ask her a question and she would either repeat it to me or her answer would be about Mr. Noodle, a character from Sesame Street. Um, the cradle cap. So I just thought all babies had cradle cap. And for some reason, hers was worse. And she had it till she was about five years old. And it was so, wow. yeah, it was so bad that we would have to use a toothbrush in the bath to try to get it off. And you it's know, real her- common today. I want to interject this too. Um, that's a biotin deficiency and yeast. Uh, they consume the biotin because it helps them grow. Uh, if you get rid of the biotin, then they can grow and develop these tentacles to, you know, get themselves established. So it's a, if you if a child is born with um, cradle cap, they are deficient in biotin. I think biotin is one of the many important supplements a mom should be taking. But of course, you know, moms are not told that they do need to eat a certain way. Their yeast infection will be themselves and of course if you were um you know in and out of the hospital as a teenager and so on having a transplant a kidney transplant they would have had you on antibiotics as well so mothers today have um yeast infections it's just prevalent and and also your immune system's naturally suppressed uh, your progesterone and estrogen goes up uh, a lot uh, glucose goes up a lot that feeds the infection, even if she didn't seem to have a problem with it before. So I think one of the causes of autism that no one ever brings up is that our babies are being born with a yeast infection. So what you're saying is exactly confirmation of that, basically. Yes. So, yeah, she was just, she tantrumed. Um, just She was just unhappy. She was very anxious. And I was very scared because I, um, before the girls were born, I was an academic therapist at a children's hospital. So I had worked with lots of kids with autism. And um, to me, it was like anything but autism. So a diagnosis really scared me. Um, So... I, we finally got her evaluated. She was diagnosed on the spectrum. Um, and, but when it's your own child, I was taught that there's nothing you can do for autism. I just started researching and I found a group called TACA, T-A-C-A, um, that talk about curing autism. I think the acronym is different now. Um, but a doctor was, um, 
slated to speak that night. So I went to see her and she talked about autism as a GI disorder and talked about that there's tests that you can get done through the Great Plains Laboratory. So I ordered up the stool analysis and the organic acid test and got those samples, sent them off, got the results. Uh, I didn't really know how to read them, but I did notice that her yeast levels were off the charts. She didn't have any good bacteria. And the minerals and the vitamins were really low. Um, the oxalates were, were high. Um, so I needed to find a doctor locally that could help me with this. Um, so we, we saw one that, that works with autistic kids in a more holistic way. And he did his own labs and he said, okay, we just need all these supplements. So we had so many supplements. We had a, a big spreadsheet on our fridge and went back a month later and nothing had changed. The, the vitamins and minerals hadn't changed. So he said, well, we need to double the supplements. Doubled them, month later, went back, they had dropped. So nothing was working. And I remember the nurse saying to me, you know, these kids just need so much, so many supplements that their body just sucks it all in and they need more. And it just didn't make sense to me. No, and you know what? It doesn't make sense. Supplements are uh, not the answer, but also I've just, I've heard this story many, many times and I can't imagine having a child take all the supplements and a lot of people open them uh, up, put them into something and get their child to drink them. But how can you do that? I mean, they're disgusting tasting. So that that's already a no go right there. Um, you, you were um, amazing to keep doing it at least you know, trying like that, but obviously it's good for people to know the supplement is not, supplements uh, are not the answer. No. So meanwhile, she was going, she couldn't function in a preschool class. Her sister was in preschool. She was at um, an ABA clinic. And I talked with another mom there who told us about a clinic in New York um, with these wonderful doctors that um, help with um in a more holistic way and made an appointment we saw dr campaign unfortunately he is retired now but he was wonderful and he talked about autism as an immune gi disorder and he introduced us to the body ecology diet and and what was her name the doctor mm -hmm. dr campaign Oh, I don't know her, but we had many doctors starting to see the success we were having with our bedrock group. And some of them, a good number of them had their own children with autism and they were recommending body ecology. So I'm glad we found our way to her. Yeah. So he told us about body ecology diet and, you know, Tula had been on probiotic capsules and it just wasn't doing anything. So he said that she needed live fermented foods and drinks. Wow, good for him. I know. And so I ordered up your book. In the meantime, he had um, prescribed an antifungal. So she had had a small die-off with that where, you know, the, the yeast is being killed and so the behaviors get a little worse. So her die-off was, you know, more stimming, more anxiety. And 
I was reading your book at the same time and I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed with all the information. And I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe this antifungal will just do the trick and cure her. And it didn't. Um, she just really was no different after that prescription was done. Um, so Mike was the one that was really interested in fermenting. So in his past, he had loved making beer. So the idea of fermenting coconuts really interested him. So so you started on the diet and you started uh, opening and fermenting coconut. And I know Michael had said, told me that story about he and his friend uh, made beer. Mm-hmm. And when they were young, college or high school or something. So he liked the concept of fermenting. And yes. thank God, because he started opening what well, it's a pain to open up coconuts. And he he did that for you. I think that's a, you know, people don't do that, didn't do the diet because they don't know how to get into the coconuts. We didn't have anything else at that time. So you had to do it yourself. And so having Michael you know, opening those coconuts and then you're fermenting that, that was great. I th- I feel like this story has a divine arrangement in it. Absolutely. The fact that Michael wanted to do that and he's willing to open the coconuts. And can you tell people about the, what happened when you started fermenting the coconut water? Yes. Yeah, so um, Chula had been on the, on the diet and, you know, that was a transition for her. Um, because she was really used to, she was such a picky eater. She would eat, she was used to eating cheese and crackers and sugar. I mean, I was the mom that would bribe her to get in the car with suckers. And so she was used to eating. So, you know, she had this plate now of chicken and broccoli and she was refusing to eat it. And what I did was I used little stevia drops to put it on the broccoli to just get her to start eating and that, as you know, their taste buds start changing once they get the good bacteria in their guts. So that only lasted a little, little while. But um, once, you know, well, she had been on the antifungal and now we're moving to coconut kefir. And I thought, well, it can't be as powerful as a prescription drug. So we just decided to give her a cup full. And the most amazing thing happened. I mean, she had a die off that really scared us. I mean, her behaviors got so bad. And I called the doctor and he said, you know, well, it's working. You just have to decrease the dose. So we went from about a cup to about a half teaspoon and, and worked our way up. Now I know not all kids, you know, react that way, but, um, for her, it was pretty intense. And we would just use a little syringe and, um, you know, say you can you can have five of these syringefuls of keeper, and then you can have a gluten-free, casein-free cookie. As her taste buds started changing, then you know we would just um, do half a cookie, and then there was no cookie, and she would be asking for the keeper on her own. So, you know, that was amazing, and she started connecting. She started talking. Um, she actually, you know, was having conversations with us instead of talking about Mr. Noodle on Sesame Street and making no sense. She started talking about that she had always had an owie tummy. Um, so for her, it was just amazing. And then that's, uh, 
that it doesn't always happen that way where, it, you know, suddenly she starts talking. Because sometimes uh, talking is one of the later things. But a whole bunch of other good things start happening. Yes. And I just want to add a few things along the way here. Um, so it's very, very common for the parents to write into our, you know, group, our emails. In the Bedrock group, they, like the first person I I told to do this was actually a family member whose son had autism and she lived in um on the isle of palms in south carolina and i remember talking to her for a couple of hours and you know just i didn't really know for sure but i just explained what i thought mm-hmm. would happen and so because i knew they got problems that need to be fixed i knew they had yeast problems that need to be fixed so i told diane what i thought would work well she was I mean, she, in my opinion, needs a, a major award for this, but she started cracking those coconuts. And I, I remember hanging up thinking she will never, ever, ever find coconuts in Charleston. So, you know, this is an island in Charleston, the deep south. And so she did, though, and started cracking them like crazy. And she gave them to Thomas. But same thing, he wouldn't eat anything but crackers. That's all they will eat is you know, gluten, flour products, uh, sugar, and dairy, and those are super addictive. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so she um, put it in what she told me was junky juice. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, I don't even want to tell you what I was giving him. But within the week, he didn't want the junky juice anymore. He just wanted uh, the coconut keeper. And uh, we've had parents write in and say, um, uh, will they become an alcoholic? From drinking this fermented drink because he won't stop drinking it. But when kids do that, those are the ones that definitely start recovering faster. So I mm-hmm. wanted to throw that in. So so she was basically following uh, a pattern that we see quite often, and it's exciting. And so you knew you were on the right path. And then and then what? And then we started adding fermented vegetable juice. So we started um, fermenting vegetables and then we would juice them just because it was easier to put in the syringe. We put a little stevia in it and then she was having more die-offs with that. Um, And then, you know, she had always been on probiotic capsules, but now pairing it with something live, she was having more die-offs with the probiotic capsules and we were just increasing the CFU counts um, when she could tolerate that. So she was having die-offs just all the time and getting better and getting healthier. So, you know, and then at the same time, she was flying through her lessons now at ABA, where before, you know, it, she just wasn't making much progress. And now parents were coming up and saying, what are you doing? You know, we're observing Tula and we can't believe the progress. So, and well, I, I want to add something here before I forget it. Um, yeah. You um, mentioned that all of a sudden she's talking and having conversations with you. And, you know, a lot of the children are not even present. They're off in the bedroom watching video games. They won't even come out. They won't talk to you or anything. And so it, it looks like they're not uh, learning or absorbing everything. That's just that they're in their own world. But when they do start coming out and they do start talking, you can see how much they're actually absorbing and remembering and they just can't get it out. I remember one time, Holly, we were I was talking in Pasadena. You and Michael came to that talk and brought the girls and then they came up on stage with me. And I remember asking them, 
what was it like to have autotula? I said, what, is, what was it like to have autism? Because, you know, people don't know that answer to a question like that. They, the kids don't get, uh, nobody asks them, what was it like? And, you know, they, but in, in Tula's case, she said, it was so hard. I was trying to communicate. I was trying to talk to people to get it out, you know, but it just wouldn't come out. That's because parts of the brain just aren't connecting with each other, but the, everything's there. Uh, there's uh, inflammation in the brain that's interfering with the brain working well effectively. But that's important to understand is they're very much present. And when they can communicate, your parents are shocked with the conversations they can have. Yeah. So Absolutely. that's important. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. encouraging for parents to know that their child's just not, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like the brain isn't working. It is working. Right. Um, so what about, so and then her sister when I asked her, well, what was it like to have a sister that uh, wasn't there, basically? And she said, that's exactly what she said. She said, well, it was just like having a sister, but no one was there. Mm -hmm. So, um, but another thing I want to ask you, a lot of times, uh, I see this so commonly, is there there are other children in the family, and then this child comes along with autism, and it requires so much focus to help that child get well. The other children often you know, feel like the, all the attention is going to the child with autism. Can you speak to that? Um, Chula's sister definitely felt that way. Uh, you know, and it was hard, too, because I would have to sneak her in the basement just to have, you know, some grapes or a treat. And she didn't like that, you know. And, and there were times where she would come, you know, I would say, you know, it's a secret, um, and she would go straight to Tula and say, guess what I just ate? And she wanted Tula to know, you know, um, and she just, it was hard. It was really hard on her. And, this, and socially, too, because we really had to pull back from being involved in, like, the neighborhood gatherings. Because, you know, at one point, Tula was ready, but everything revolved around sugar. You know, it was um, Easter egg hunts filled with candy and let's have donuts before trick-or-treating and let's go ice skating with s'mores. And um, we did it for a while and it just, it was hard. And I just, I didn't understand why all gatherings have to be around junk food. Or this is the month of October when we're recording this and you know, I think it's fun for kids to dress up and have parties, but yeah. same thing. I hate the idea that they're going door to door and getting more candy and, and you know, it's commercialized holiday now. Mm -hmm. And uh, the true meaning of Halloween is completely lost. But I just cringe when I see the sugar that's put on our kids and teachers go along with it. You can't have a birthday party without it. Right. Which is actually not true. You can make a sugar-free, gluten-free cake today. But yeah. back then, we hadn't gotten there yet. Um, so can you tell us what Michael did? Because people did start coming up to you saying, what are you doing? So Yes. Uh, so, um, well, I ended up having jars full of the coconut kefir at ABA. And parents started taking it home. And um, that was during the, you know, 2008 nine recession and Michael had been let go. 
of his job. And, you know, at the time we were thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to uh, afford the food? And we ended up being on welfare. And um, it is very doable to, to be on this diet and not have much money. Um, but he applied to 200 something positions, didn't get anything. And now we're seeing this progress that Tula was making. And we thought, why can't we make it you know, available to everybody? So it was at that time that he started a business plan to make it commercially available. Well, did you sell it um, into stores? Did you just have people come into your house and pick it up? Or how, how did he sell it? Yes. Yeah, so um, he sold it in stores, um, mostly, you know, direct mm-hmm. to consumers. But um, so it was both. And, you know, he got great feedback from from people. It was helping kids. It was helping families. And um, we had been at it for a few years when a larger company called and um, wanted to bias. So that's what got us moving out to California. Well, uh, I remember all those days. And I also remember that it was delicious. I wish that we could have it all over the country, but it wasn't distributed everywhere yet. It's a hard thing to make. I think Michael told me that maybe I'm wrong in the numbers that he did over 5,000 coconuts, uh, opened them, (laughs) fermented them, maybe way more than that in a year's time. But uh, we would always see each other at the autism conferences like Autism One and Michael would have a table there telling people about about it. And there it's just honestly what, uh, one of the things that I was surprised about was that, again, getting back to those doctors who had their own children with autism, they were doing it for their own kids and getting remarkable results. Now, um, OK, so it didn't work with every single one, but. I will tell you that when it didn't work, that was because these doctors had children who were older. They were like eight, nine, ten, I would say. And um, it's asking a lot of uh, just the diet and uh, certain foods and things like that to help a child recover at that age. So the earlier, the key, one of the most important things to do is besides doing it right, is to do it early. So as soon as you have a um, diagnosis, and, um, you know, unfortunately, at that point, most people are not getting uh, good advice. But would you, how old was Tula at that time when this all, when you went on the diet and Michael started making the coconut keeper? Yeah, she was four. So, um, and that's what Dr. Compain told us too. He said, start right away. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't hesitate. Um, he mm-hmm. said it was around age six where it gets harder to completely recover kids yeah we had one wonderful mother with a 10 year old and he fully recovered um christopher but uh i could see the window starting to close around the age of five so early diagnosis is extremely important i have never met this wonderful doctor but he was obviously you know a part of bedrock and was tuning in like lots of doctors were there, there was you know we began for a while and then a period of time came by and my moms who were guiding the group said wow we have all these doctors joining now so that was great so he was all I wish I could meet him and tell him thank you because he he was giving out the right kind of advice and yes he um, was and you know I mean so many doctors 
give the wrong advice. Um, yeah. Or no so, advice, because I honestly don't yeah. know. Uh, exactly. So really, it's kind of the lucky ones, I guess, that could say, you know, they, they found their way to the right doctors. And, they, and there's another factor, too, I want to say, and this is really important, I think, for people to hear. I thought that when we started getting seen on these children recovered, that the world would be lining up at our door for answers. What are you doing? We did have a, a good number. And the um, uh, key autism doctors at that time did start uh, ch changing things. Uh, you know, gluten-free, casein-free was pretty much getting to be accepted. But that then the, um, the kids kind of just went to a certain point and stopped getting well. And they didn't know anything about um, sugar-free. They didn't know about yeast infections. They didn't know about the gut. They didn't know about fermented food. So that was kind of things that Bedrock was, uh, you know, teaching. But um, I think that, um, oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought here, but, um, oh, I know. So parents are key because when people didn't line up at the door mm -hmm. and want to get their kids well, uh, I was really shocked at that. I thought, gosh, what, you know, why not? Why are they all not all here uh, getting these answers and then implementing them? Well, interestingly enough, we had another group that was... Um, you know, out there with bedrock, they were totally different moms. I noticed after a while, first of all, they were not very harmonious where our bedrock, the moms were always working together, lovely, loving people. They would share information. Sometimes I'd put something and it would be all around the world and come back again. Uh, so I thought, Oh good. That point got out. But I was, I was really used to wonder what is it about our parents that, um, you know, work together so well and are being so successful. And I honestly believe from a spiritual perspective that these moms, mostly moms, a few dads came around, but um, that they're humble. You know, they have a sense of, of, well, you know, not wanting to make anybody feel guilty, but but responsible for having created this in a whole generation of our children. Because we didn't, in my generation, people didn't have autism. And now, do you know the latest statistics? I, I, I like one in 40 boys, because back in those days, it was one, like one in 180. But what's the latest? Because every time you look, it's, it's gotten worse. I know. Um, I, I feel like it was in the 30s, but I don't, I don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. I know that it's alarming. It's bad. It's a true epidemic. And unfortunately, it's being covered up more than there are answers for people. And um, I have my theories on why the truth isn't getting out there and why there are these cover-ups. Um, I, 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 in a lot of ways, we're silenced in being able to give our opinion or they knock you off the air. But um, I think there's definite reasons that this is happening and money is involved <laughs> big time. Um, so, so let's see. I do have kind of made a note of some things. Um, so kids can recover, but it isn't easy, as you can see, as people can see from listening to you. But um, so. Oh, and I do want to say, too, that we redid the organic acid test and mm -hmm. stool analysis after only nine months on the body ecology diet. And, oh, you know, no. she was she was out of range on 24 like compounds and markers. And nine months later, she was out of range on only 13. So oh, it was wow. Yeah. And she still had yeast overgrowth, but it had reduced significantly. 
Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I mean, just I, I was really surprised just after only nine months. Well, you know, knees are normal. Uh, they're normally present in the in the body and in the um, gut in particular. One of the things you have to do is crowd them out with the good bacteria. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, some of the kids love the fermented vegetables. They take to them right away. The, the way I often encourage moms to introduce it is to put them in a bowl and put some blue corn chips around Mm-hmm. in there and then they'll, they'll they like to scoop it up and eat it and then they'd start getting into it and that sour taste is kind of addictive too mm-hmm. and they'd go on and, and eat more mm-hmm. go on them all the time and if you're not crazy about the sour taste you can add olive oil to them uh, which is more like a salad dressing is really something sour like lemon vinegar um, olive oil and some salt and so you can easily do that with the cultured vegetables and then they taste more like they're salad um so one of the things i wanted to bring up was brain work did you uh i did an interview just recently with um some a woman who has had excellent excellent uh success with her program which is called brain harmony and i would encourage people to go back and look at that pod listen to that podcast but um did you do any uh, kind of a you know therapy like that we did not. No, she was just speeding through her lessons at ABA. And so then she was able to go back to, um, she was able to, to go to pre-K with a therapist. And then the therapist said, she, you know, she no longer needs me. So she just fit right in. Um, I'll never forget the call when he called me and said, you know, she's asking other girls for playdates, you know, which I, I didn't know if that would ever happen. Um, and at the, the end of the year conference with that pre-K teacher, she started crying and said, I would have never in a, in a million years imagined that recovery was possible because I saw how she was at the beginning of the year and I didn't think that she'd be ready for kindergarten. And now, you know, she's just um, completely normal and thriving. Yeah, and, and fast forward years, she's now not just ready for kindergarten, she's re- was ready for college. Yes. But along the way, I know I would get reports from you or Michael, um, what the girls were doing. So it was clearly, you know, p- people probably uh, are doubting, but, you know, it was clear it was over with, completely done with. And yet Michael was saying, well, you know, Tula's playing music and the girls love music and they're singing all the time, you know, and performing even. So the, I know you put them in a great school mm-hmm. that nurtured that, mm-hmm. um, but kind of describe them today. Yeah. So um, Tula is, um, they're both out on the East coast at co- different colleges and Tula's really involved in environmental policy. So that's really her passion. She's been lobbying now for a few years. And, um, you know, she heads up um, climate strikes and she's just really passionate about that. So, um, and her sister's more undecided, but um, is doing great. They both really love college. And I think it was good for them to be away from each other too. Um, but Tula was just home for fall break, which was, it was so good to see her. And um, I was, we, we had a conversation about just her autism and 
um, because they have a lot of feelings about, well, her sister too, people knowing, you know, and, and Tula being bullied, you know, not only for the food that she was bringing, you know, to school, but um, when she would bring up that she used to have autism, there were some kids that would say, that's not true. You know, that's not possible that you had it and now you don't. So that was hard for, for her. Well, also there's a stigma attached to it. So um, what, what I've noticed a lot, parents would uh, not want, if they're little, like three years old, then they, um, they were working on helping their kid recover and then the child did recover. Uh, they didn't want to talk about it anymore. They, some of her parents were great and stayed around to help, but for the most part, parents thought this is a period of being, uh, living through a nightmare. They, they're well. They, the kids have recovered and they're going to forget about it and move on. And I've even had some parents say, we didn't even want him to know that we just told him he had a tummy ache. Well, that father who said that about his son, that he's graduated from Clemson College just this past year and he's gone on to graduate school uh, and majoring in accounting, which I, I, I'm awful at math. So I think that tells you something about his brain. Um, but um, he recently, uh, so Beth uh, Lampert is doing a video, a whole entire documentary movie on the kids that are recovering. And so they interviewed Thomas and he just came right out and told about, you know, his uh, whole experience and everything. He's not ashamed of it anymore, embarrassed by it anymore. He's actually proud of it and proud of his mother because she was, he was the first child to recover. And she really is the person who started, uh, kept bedrock going for five years and so thousands of people came to us. At one point, we had over 2,000 parents and practitioners enrolled in Bedrock. Uh, so I think she, I think it would make a great movie, actually. Yeah, uh, but anyway, Beth is Beth Lambert. She's somebody did. I did a podcast with her uh, quite a while ago, maybe a year. But also a very, very good podcast to listen to. Now, you have your group that you're starting. We've talked about you doing this forever. And finally, you know, the girl's out of the house and you're ready to do this. Can you tell us about your blog and also the name? Because I love the name. So the name is A Journey Off the Spectrum. And um, I just, I wanted to share our story. I wanted to share hope. You know, if I would have known the inf- all the great information that you have on your website and in your books, it would have saved us from a lot of struggle. So I just wanted, um, like Bedrock, Bedrock was a, such a great community. It, it was, um, it really saved me, you know, women sharing recipes. And so that's what I really wanted to continue is um, the blog, not only sharing my story, but to have mothers or, or dads come on and share their victories and share their successes and, and recipes and just create a community like Bedrock was. Yeah, parent, you said two key things. Parents need support. Like I could put information out in the world that I, I thought made sense to try. And then, you know, we get feedback and find out, yeah, it's working. But also... Um, you can tell people what to do, but they need to come back and check in and report what you're doing and ask a million questions mm-hmm. every day 
Mm-hmm. They, they may have a new question every week or two, but they need somebody to answer it. And then you said another thing that's really important, and that is hope. I would ask my moms who are leading Bedrock, what, what's the most important reason you think people are coming? Obviously, information. They kept telling me, like, over even over the years, as they, would, they would say, they need hope. Yeah. They need to know that, indeed, their child can get well. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're um, offering now. And um, would we want, I really want people to um, come to you and how, how will they find you? Um, so my site, it's um, a journey off the spectrum.com. And um, what kind of help are you going to offer? Would you say, can they, can they write in and send in meals and then? Yes. Yes. They, they can contact me. Um, the, the forum I think is going to be, great just having that connection and that support um and then you know i'm i'm open to doing some things in the future so i haven't um i haven't defined that yet but i'd like to have some groups in the future well you know um after a certain number of years went by i we stopped doing bedrock and uh, i kind of always have regretted that but um it seemed to me, first of all, that the information was out in the world and that a lot of the doctors who were dealing with children were autism were doing it. They were sure that a gluten-free, sugar-free uh, diet, they, they did recommend things like fermented foods. Um, some of the kids weren't getting well. So, you know, that creates like a lot of like, what, how come it works? And how come maybe it doesn't work because these children aren't getting well and all these kids are. So that's confusing too. I, I honestly think that the, just going to your doctor and saying, hey, do this diet and, and eat this coconut, drink this coconut kefir. Um, I would say that, um, you know, the, the, the parents, the, maybe they just needed the support. They need to go somewhere and ask a lot of questions. You're not going to get that from your doctor either. So um, another fantastic thing. I'm very grateful that you're doing this. Um, so, of course, part of me regrets that. But um, it also is extremely intensive on my part, too. I would often stay up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I wouldn't even be addicted to getting to those emails and answering them. The, it was helping people all over the world in the strangest places, England uh, and Canada, yeah, but even in Hong Kong, there were groups forming around body ecology. Now, I admire those people so much back then because, and, and you and Michael, because, you know, the cracking of the coconuts was a pain. And that right there would discourage people. But today it's a million times easier because all over every single store you can get coconut water that's actually boxed. So I wanted to kind of interject one last thing because I know we're running out of time. But, you know, just the fact that you and Michael, you know, started um, putting Tula on the coconut created uh, keeper and created a whole entire company around it, making it available to thousands of people, you know, to, it's just amazing that you all did that, but also the parents all over the world were cracking coconuts. So today, fortunately, thanks to some parents over in England, actually, because they didn't have the coconuts, they figured that it's out, that if you buy the boxed coconut water, which you can get everywhere in stores all over, um, you can actually use that. And it's a whole lot easier. So on our kefir starter, which we sell, of course, um, we have new instructions inside on how to make it with, not with fresh coconuts, but with the box coconut water. And so 
you know, one of the things I found was that if you use a box coconut water and you open one coconut, put that fresh water in, it ferments really well. But what the parents in England ended up doing that I started remembering they did this and I checked it out. You can take the uh, box coconut water and you ferment with our starter just a little bit, say a cup of that coconut water. And then um, uh, let that ferment for uh, at least 24, but 32 hours is way better. And even 48 hours since I've made this new starter, not from the powder package that you get from us, but you get, uh, you, you actually take that box, uh, make it your, the box coconut water, make it your starter. Um, and then from then on, you can start fermenting other batches. And uh, I think it's a good idea to make up a lot because the whole family can drink it. And once the kids get on it, there's something rather addictive in a good way about it. Uh, you can start off by putting it in their junkie juice just to get it in their body. But it's really easy today to do it. And of course, like you said, um, some states have the, the company that bought you all out. But most I mean, I've been all over and every time I do, I look just to see if I can pick up a bottle and drink it myself. It, nobody has it. So it's actually been discontinued. Oh, really? Well, I can understand because Michael stayed on for a while and ensured the quality was there. But I saw quickly that the quality was really going down. Yes. Um, it, it can't be old. It can't be a week or two older. It gets really sour. So, yeah, making it at home is the answer. So we can uh, hopefully you'll put that up on your website, um, the instructions for making it at home. And Holly, I just want you to know that if you need me in any way, I'm so glad that we're at this point where you're doing this. It's a tremendous gift. And if you need for me to answer some questions or be on, a, a, you know, a, like a webinar where we can talk to people, I'm, I'm here for you. Oh. Thank you so much. I mean, you've just been an angel in our lives and we love you so much. Oh, thanks for saying that. You wonder sometimes if you are making a difference. But I did I did notice that you had mentioned to me that uh, when you had the uh, kidney transplant, the second time you ended up with a urinary tract infection. And this is a huge problem for women. When they start to get one, they usually get it over and over and over again. And E. coli is the most common uh, you know, cause of a, of a urinary tract infection, but uh, and we have a product called Echophage, which is excellent at helping, you know, prevent them and actually getting rid of it. But yours came from being in the hospital and having the operation. And I just wanted to mention when you told me that, I thought, you know, the other type of E. coli, uh, other type type of urinary tract infection is from Klebsiella, another pathogen, and that's a hospital hospital acquired uh, bacteria. So that when you told me that that it, you ended up with the UTI uh, from you know having the kidney transplant, would you? Um, what did you do <laughs> for so, that? Yeah, so actually, I got I got the UTI not right out of the hospital, but later on, and you know I'm. My body has been used to eating fermented foods and drinking coconut kefir every day. But after, you stopped it. You after stopped the it. transplant, I stopped. Um, one, I was on really high immunosuppression, and one of the drugs just made my stomach raw. So when I would drink the coconut kefir, it, was, it just wasn't good. So I took a break, and the doctors um, didn't want me to be on it right after the transplant. 
So I was just out of the habit, um, if I'm being honest, of drinking it. And so when I got this UTI, uh, I went in for a round of antibiotics, came right back. Um, It came back for three months. So I was on antibiotics for three months. They even had me coming in for these weekly bladder installations of heparin. Nothing was working. Nothing was working. I was worried about my gut being on antibiotics that long. And I left the clinic one day and I sat in my car and I just thought, you know, what is going on? What can I do? And it was like all the information came back to me. Of course, I drove straight from that parking lot to the grocery store to buy coconuts. And I could feel the UTI coming back at that point. So I knew that I'd be in another round and started drinking the coconut kefir. And within two days, the UTI went away and it never came back. And so And it comes back over and over. It's a recurring infection in women uh, because the antibiotics just suppress it and get rid of maybe a large number of them. So your symptoms go away. You're not wanting to pee all the time and so on. But uh, but it's not really getting rid of all of them. And some of them are going to spring back. So you need something like on a daily basis to keep after those ones that are trying to come back and create a new infection or, you know, so that's great. I thank you for sharing that. I, I was thrilled to hear that because I just happen to know how many women are suffering from UTIs. And there are two different uh, key microbes. Interestingly, in SIBO, the microbes that they find are the same, um, the same ones, Klebsiella and, and E. coli. So um, usually fermented foods are, you know, for people with SIBO, they say don't do uh, fermented foods because you'll have a reaction. But I, I think there's exceptions to that. Um, and I think you you just offered us a great, uh, you know, something that everybody should try. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I could keep bringing up all kinds of stories yeah. and thanking you over and over again, but let's just get this podcast out and hopefully uh, you'll start having a lot of people coming and we'll get this thing going and uh, get lots of kids recovered. So thank you very much, Holly, for who Thanks. you are and your persistence and for your wonderful husband and your beautiful girls and not giving up and just telling your story and doing starting this blog to help people. Well, thank you. I mean, none of this could have been done without you. So um, we appreciate you so much. But you can give people information and they got to do it. So that our mothers and mothers like you are, are really the true warriors of the world. I think, I think somebody should make a, a documentary and show the truth. I know Beth is working on that, but we have a group of moms who are like you and recovered their kids and it'd be a great story. But uh, now what's wonderful is you've raised the girls, they're happy and beautiful and successful and it's time to help other people. So thank you for doing that too. Thank you. Thank you. Body ecology is not a diet. It's a way of life based on seven universal laws that always guide us toward the truth. If you want to know more about us, about these seven universal laws and about our amazing effective products, Go to our website, bodyecology.com. Also, for a free transcript of this show, go to our website. Again, that's bodyecology.com. And of course, if you like what you're learning, we'd be very grateful for a review on Apple 
or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've got a topic you want to learn about, just let us know. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor or healthcare professional. Thank you very much for listening, and here's to a happier, healthier world.